Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 64 of Unblocking Crypto. Packed agenda for us today, Hal. Uh, great to see you again. And let's let's start off talking a little bit about some of the regulation stuff going on, because that seems to be very interesting with all the countries around the world at this point. Maybe let's start talking about Europe and the MICA and what they just passed. Do you want to uh, dive into that a little bit real quick? Yeah. So this is kind of, it's been an interesting week from a regulation standpoint. A lot of, we've been talking about regulation since uh, since the beginning, but really last year, the Biden administration put out that request for a bunch of different government agencies looking at cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to give them the, their opinion so they could build this kind of comprehensive regulation thing. Well, while the U.S. government is working on reports, uh, the European Parliament passed a comprehensive crypto regulation called the MICA, which is the Markets in Crypto Act. It's It passed like 517 to 38, so it, it really passed, right? This didn't squeak by. Going through it, I think it's fairly reasonable, and it's not the anti-crypto stuff that crypto people are worried about coming from governments but um there's some stuff that's not that's not great but i'll, I'll talk about that in a second uh some of it's super easy where exchanges and uh, companies in the crypto space have to inform customers of the risk you know kind of like just just clarity and transparency that other investment assets and things need to have so that's to me that's nothing they have a requirement for stable coins to have uh, reserve requirements so you basically have to actually back your stablecoin with something. Uh, I don't know that they specify if it's cash or bonds or whatever, but it needs to be. It needs to actually be backed, and you, and which means you're going to have to prove it. Which I think up to this point, it's all a little hazy when they try to prove, like different stablecoins try to prove that they're backed. And so that'll be interesting to see how they do that. The stablecoins are. This was a piece of it that I thought was weird. They're limited to two hundred million dollars per day in transactions, which seems dumb if we're in an inflationary environment that's going up between five and fifteen percent a year. Like two hundred million dollars in transactions per day in an industry that's growing rapidly, and you're pegging it to. Uh, I think it was two hundred million euros, two hundred twenty million dollars. So pegging it to that, I mean, you're. If you don't index it to inflation, you're just you're constantly limiting that uh, stablecoin uh, environment to to be limited on a per day transaction basis. Which I, I, that's kind of a dumb government thing. I don't think they're trying to limit stablecoins. The part that's the crypto people aren't going to like, right? It's got the AML KYC requirements, which you and I talked. I think it's necessary. I don't think you get away with mass adoption and operating within government regulations without them being able to tell some contact information of who you are if you're going to be moving tens of thousands of dollars around. I mean, you can't do it with a bank. I don't think they're going to let you do it, period. And then the one that's, uh, there's environmentally reporting requirements of how much carbon and, and how much power you're consuming and how much power that cryptocurrencies that you're interacting with are consuming for the companies that are in that in that area that one to me is super weird because 
you don't ask a bank like, hey, you know, what's the carbon footprint of all your, your executives flying around on private jets this year, right? Like you don't ask any other industry about that kind of thing. So I, that one kind of falls apart for me. But the thing that it does is it plants a flag. It puts the, it's puts the EU in kind of that pole position for some sort of regulation in, in cryptocurrency. And it puts the U.S. behind them, which I think is a good thing for crypto in the U.S. because it's not China. It's not Russia, you know, putting this together. It's the EU. So if the EU is going to be kind of friendly or create a path for cryptocurrency and exchanges and things to be regulated, the U.S. kind of has to. You know, I don't see the U.S. being super hard and, and challenging cryptocurrency and squeezing it out if the EU is going to have a kind of an easy path for, for companies to, to operate in. So, so yeah, I think it's a, as a whole, it's sort of the progress you need to make. There's parts of it that aren't great, but every single bill that's been passed in the last 15 years has been not great in some ways. So it's, it's, it's something. Good news is they're trying to legislate this, right? Versus the SEC in the U S is just regulating by enforcement. So, I mean, what your, the EU is doing is a much better policy. Will it work? Hopefully. I mean, there, there's always going to be some growing pains. <laughs> $200 million a day kind of seems funky, especially if everything starts moving to that in the future. I, I don't, I mean, I understand kind of this proof of reserves piece. What I don't really understand is, do banks have to show that today? Regular banks? Do you know? Uh, well, they've got fractional reserve requirements, um, like that, were, well, COVID made things weird for fractional reserve requirements where it was, it used to be six to one for every dollar that they loan, they've got to have, um, well, for every $6 they loan, they have to have a dollar in, in deposits, but COVID suspended those rules. I don't know if they've been reenacted, but so they, they do have some reserve requirements, but I mean, the U S government doesn't have reserve requirements to back dollars with anything. I mean, currently the dollar is backed by the government's ability to raise taxes enough to cover their their liability in some future st state where they, they, they the, the dollar is valuable because the, the U.S. government could potentially back it. But, uh, you know, it's it's the same as all these fiat currencies like the, I don't, the euro. It's not like there's gold, you know, backing the euro 50 cents on the on the or, half a euro to a, to the euro. So I, I, no, there's there's not really requirements for other uh, similar assets. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the interesting piece about all this is what you're seeing happen in Europe, I think is affecting the US a little bit differently to where all these companies, Coinbase as an example, are questioning whether or not they should continue to stay in the US. And I, they just, I think officially got their license in Bermuda so that if they wanted to move to Bermuda, they have the ability to do so because Bermuda is actually very crypto friendly. Granted, that's probably why FTX went there, but they have been kind of leading some of these other countries in what they're trying to accomplish. I think they're also looking at opening up a, a place in Abu Dhabi as well as, as options. And Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, has pretty much come out and said all the options are on the table. They tried to work with the SEC and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen from at least the way the SEC is responding these days, but they'll do whatever they need to do to keep the company moving forward like they need them to. Yeah, and Coinbase, so I can't tell if that's 
kind of a power move that Coinbase d- did in response to uh, receiving that Wells notice that that the SEC was going to have some sort of uh, action against them when Coinbase has tried to play ball with the SEC more than anybody. And then yesterday, Coinbase filed suit with the SEC in order to force them to respond to a request they sent last year seeking clarity for, you know, what's the security? Do security laws apply to cryptocurrencies? You know, just trying to get some regulatory clarity by getting the internet, you know, having an international headquarters, you know, you could have it's kind of like what Binance did with Binance US versus Binance, you know, international, where internationally they could do futures and you could do leverage and things like that for non-US customers. It could be a growth piece. It could be a power move piece where they're like, all right, SEC, like there's a bunch of money to be made here. If you're not going to let us make it in the United States, we'll make it somewhere else. I can't see Coinbase bailing on the United States. Like the United States is, if if crypto doesn't work in the United States, it doesn't really work globally. Like the value of all the crypto is going to drop a lot if US money is excluded. Yeah, it's it's interesting too. I mean, you talked about a lot of money to be made. The Genesis Foundation has pretty much come out and said they are planning on opening up a derivative exchange outside the U.S. since the U.S. doesn't allow it. So they don't have a location picked out yet, but they still think there's a ton of money to be made in in that space as well. So it's a shame that the U.S. is missing out on a lot of revenue from taxes on all this stuff, but they just can't get their act together. And I think even there is a representative in Ohio that is filing a bill to get rid of Gary Gensler. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, yeah? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, we'll, Gary we'll Gensler had a, had a, he had a committee hearing, you know, the typical, like, Emmer, Senator Emmer was grilling him on on cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and, like, trying to get him to, to say something with some substance, and he just dodged everything. It was, it was pretty bad. Normally, like, he's got to feel like he's backed into a corner, and he needs to make some decisions, and they need to provide guidance. Like a year ago, he didn't talk like that or positive about things. But I think it's all fun and games, you know, when you're not having to generate rules. And now I think he has to generate some rules. Like he's just out of time and the, the, the industry is requiring it. You know, all of these crumbling businesses over the last 12, 18 months have hurt a lot of investors, which is, you know, the SEC is supposed to be protecting them. Part of the reason why those companies failed is there's no regulatory clarity, there's no reporting requirements, there's no guidance. And so I think he's starting to feel it like he just this week had the feel that the the need for regulatory clarity is cranked up. Uh, And it's, you know, at some point, you know, governments aren't going to do anything until after they have to. And so this it feels like they're they're getting closer to that. Yeah, is that the one where he kind of kept asking about whether Ethereum was a security or a commodity? Anywhere exactly right. Here? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome, and, and and like if you know, like the reason he wouldn't is because they got this weird thing between the SEC and the CFTC, and who's got authority and and like I think that he just I guess they haven't decided or they haven't put the work in to figure it out, and I mean, just come up with this, just figure it out. If it's a security, make them follow security regulations, right? If it's a commodity, it's not even your bag. It, kick it over to the CFTC. I think it's hard to, for me to think it's a commodity. It doesn't feel like a commodity. So uh, I don't know. Uh, Gary Gensler at least kind of understands crypto. He's got a background in it and you know the whole MIT blockchain classes he taught and stuff like that. 
but maybe he just doesn't have what it takes to make first of a kind decisions. You know, maybe he's one of those guys that he can take a he can take a, a system that's running and make it run okay or better and make some tweaks, but maybe he can't crank one up from scratch. Yeah, and I haven't read too much into it, but I think Gary Gensler used to be a huge fan of Algorand because it was developed at MIT when he was there. And he was kind of pushing that it was a great one to go after. And now I think recently the SEC has said Algorand could be a security. Not that they are, but they're on the short list of something to look at, right? So yeah, no one really understands what's going on. But I know one of the other things that we should talk about too is, I mean, we're we're talking about what's going on from a, a regulation perspective, but from a macro perspective, there's some interesting things happening too. The U.S. debt ceiling is about to be maxed out. And for those of you that don't pay attention to that, the the debt ceiling in the U.S. has been capped at $31.4 trillion, which is an insane number. I think we're almost there and we haven't agreed to extend that. And it sounds like we have to figure out a way to make it work for the next five months. But if you look at the CDSs, which is pretty much the instrument that is ensuring whether or not a collapse would happen in the U.S. economy, that those have been priced at now an all-time high, and it pretty much equates to a two percent chance of the U.S. defaulting on the U.S. dollar, which a one in fifty chance is not what you want for the world's reserve currency <laughs> to possibly default in. So, it, no, even it, like a hardcore Bitcoiner. It's got to be like, it's bad. I mean, it's bad. A lot of people, yeah. it would be bad for a, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, you don't really want that. Um, but, it, I mean, there, there would be a theory that like, hey, uh, reserve currencies don't last forever. It's got to end sometime. Uh, rip the Band-Aid off and get it done sooner rather than later. It's one of those things. The, the reserve currency that's going to replace the current reserve currency is never easily figured out right like probably the u.s dollar was it was one to predict you know coming up from from the pound or whatever this one the dollar's so far ahead of everything uh, it's kind of it's hard to predict i mean bitcoin's under a trillion dollar market cap like that's not a lot like it's a long way to go so you know what what's it gonna be yeah i mean you you have a lot of countries that are looking at the the yuan and possibly doing that if you look at Bitcoin mining, Russia has actually come out and said they want to be like the second largest Bitcoin miner out there. The mining statistics have been an interesting thing to follow. The difficulty, the Bitcoin mining difficulty has increased 13 trillion since the beginning of the year, which is just over 25% of the overall difficulty. So during all this craziness, we're seeing a huge jump in the mining difficulty, and we're probably going to continue to see that happen even more. And while that hasn't changed the price yet, that usually means that there is a lot more trust in the system and the price will follow at some point, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think some of the projects that were started a year, two years ago when the price was was ramping up, I think they're starting to come online. One of them I saw, this company Terra Wolf, they deployed 50 megawatts of mining equipment at the Susquehanna nuclear facility. So that's behind the meter. So that's megawatts that never make it to the grid. So what that means is for this is a small scale thing, right? 50 megawatts on a, on a one gig nuclear reactor. 
basically now that reactor can turn down uh, 5%, right? So typically nuclear runs at 100% or it's off. Uh, there's, there's not a real turn down. Coal facilities, you can turn them down. They run a little less efficiently, but you can just put a little less coal in and it produces less steam, which produces less electricity. New, uh, natural gas is great for ramping up and down. It's really fast. Um, they're kind of like jet engines. Like you can crank them up more fuel, run them, spin them faster, make more electricity, ramp them down. Um, and you don't have quite as bad of efficiency loss, but nuke is what it is. I mean, you turn it on and you make a gig and then hopefully you run it for a year and then you shut it down and do maintenance. That's best case scenario for nukes. But if this company, TerraWolf, puts 50 megawatts in it, now they could, in theory, turn down uh, 5%. And they're aiming at 160 megawatts of total mining consumption in 2023. So some of these projects where they're like, oh, this is a good idea. I think I think mining and nuclear go together great. It's super cheap. Once you're making power with a nuclear plant, it's, it, you know, TerraWolf is buying power at two cents per kilowatt hour which is crazy cheap. So they're able, they're going to be able to mine, you know, what, no matter what happens to the difficulty and all that, they're, they're way ahead, right? I mean, six, seven, eight, nine cents a kilowatt hour is pretty good. But once you, once you put it, so you're drawing power right off of the turbine generator, you know, that's cheap and you're in with that facility. So I think, you know, for now, I guess they just run steady uh, and, and just reduce the load on coming out of the nuclear plant. But in the future, if you're a power company and you're like, you know what, let's spend not that much money to run a mining farm uh, inside the nuclear facility. If you got a gig reactor and you put 200 megawatts of mining there, you can turn down to 80%. I mean, you're, you're and you can do it faster than a coal plant. So I, I think, uh, I think once this clicks, like this will be a nice little uh, sandbox to play in and kind of a proof of concept. But nuclear facilities are going to be uh, taking a look at this. I think this will be this will be a good proof of concept once this once this works. As long as it works the way it's supposed to. I mean, I've run miner miners like you just turn them on and turn them off. Like if you had a fifty megawatts worth of them, you just need to have a little bit of software to tell them to turn on and off. You know, based on what you need. So. I think it's good that these sorts of things are what's driving up the hash rate and driving up the difficulty adjustment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good for Bitcoin. Yeah, the other thing that's not really being talked about from a Bitcoin perspective either is this is the first epoch in the history of Bitcoin that you're starting to see tokens leave exchanges. Every other year it's been net positive or every other epoch, I should say. And it's this is the first time you're seeing a downtrend. So this is kind of the first time that Bitcoin isn't following like it's always followed everything in the past. So it will be interesting to see what happens here in the near term or in long term, right? I mean, let's say near term is in the next couple of years, <laughs> which right. is long term for a lot of people, but it's it's just around the corner. <laughs> no, it'll be here soon. Uh, I mean, the next halving is just over a year away, right? Like summer next year. So that's, you know, that's always something to look at. I mean, the last time that 2020 halving, they kept overlaying the previous Bitcoin cycles and the the price escalation and then the drop and uh, and it looked like this previous one was was right on track and then it like cut short, dropped back down to like thirty thousand and then went back up to sixty sixty almost seventy thousand and then dropped back down 
And then it kind of stayed in the basement there at about sixteen to 18,000 for months. And now it kind of is creeping up. It, it, when you overlay it, it's like, it's like the peak was just neutered. Like the, the China mining ban seemed to time with the peak, that first peak of 60,000. So it's almost like, yeah, I was on track to do it. And then it didn't. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I, I did see you know, plan B, well, you know, he didn't talk much when things are bad, but when the price went back up to 30, he was like, you know, maybe there's a triple top. And if I Googled Bitcoin news just to see what was, you know, in the kind of mainstream stuff. And it was like, is this a bull market? Like, you know, like I'm just not, I don't expect that, but, but I mean, this one's different too. I mean, last time when Bitcoin, you know, we were in crypto, this was crypto winter, right? Like uh, this was 2019, spring 2019 was boring. There weren't EU parliaments passing crypto regulation and, you know, there, you know, it's, it, it is different, but the price action still, I mean, aside from the, the huge ramp up in a single peak, the price action is pretty similar to what we've seen in the past. Yeah, and there, there's still some really interesting things going on in other countries too. I mean, uh, Australia just came out. I think that the big four banks there are launching a stable coin on Ethereum to, to exchange uh, payments back and forth there. And that's looking pretty positive. And then Zimbabwe has mentioned that they're going to bring out a gold-backed digital currency on, on their end. And if you, if you look at it a year ago, one U.S. dollar was the equivalent of 150 Zimbabwe dollars. Fast forward to today, one U.S. dollar is the equivalent to about 1,000 uh, Zimbabwe dollars. So they are looking for anything they can to somewhat stop the bleeding on their end. Yeah. Well, like good news for Zimbabwe, they can try anything because what's, what they currently have sucks and they have a reputation for having a terrible uh, monetary policy and crazy inflation. So like they they got nothing to lose and they can try anything. Hopefully they'll try something on the good side of things and not like CBDC stuff, but we'll see. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's always those, those projects that I really like, Cardano being one of them. Uh, I know you're a Bitcoin fan and Cardano has a wrapped Bitcoin on their test net. So they are proving that out and making sure that would work and that would enable people with Bitcoin to move that value over to the Cardano ecosystem to play around on the Cardano ecosystem. And even guys, got guys like Mark Cuban, who historically had not been a Cardano fan, is now investing in uh, Cardano projects too. So Cardano continues to move forward, even though they don't get all the press for some reason, but good things are still happening on that platform. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the best use case I see for wrapped Bitcoin on other protocols is uh it looks like they're going to do away with your ability to tax lost harvest without a wash sale for bitcoin that was part of some bill that biden was trying to push and i mean they'll do away with it i mean there's you can't let people like me just on december 28th sit down for an hour and buy and sell bitcoin and then poof i still hold the same amount of bitcoin but my tax liabilities dropped and my cost basis went up with no risk of really losing uh, any Bitcoin stack. And so, yeah, I, I think the tax revenues are going to be down because 2022 had enough losses for people to erode their gains. And I think what we'll see is the wrapped Bitcoin use where I sell my Bitcoin, but I jump into wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum or Cardano or whatever, sit in that for 31 days and then bounce back and buy my Bitcoin back. And it, whether the price went up or down, 
assuming they find a way to make sure that the wrapped Bitcoin tracks Bitcoin, I think that I could argue that I would be not be subject to a wash sale because I would have bought a different, I would have gone from a, a property or a, a commodity in Bitcoin to a security in Cardano and then back to a property or a commodity in Bitcoin. So it'd be hard for them to argue like, oh no, it's it, those are wash sales because you bought similar uh, similar products. Like, they're not even the same asset class. So there, there'd be at least a use case for that. That doesn't help Cardano or Ethereum do stuff, but at least it, it generates some demand. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's one use case. It definitely, the other use case is it enables you to get into the DeFi ecosystem that Ethereum and Cardano and some of these other smart contract chains will have. So that provides all kinds of other options to do. We'll see what happens, right? I mean, it's it's still a long ways off before I think anybody fully trusts what's going on with any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Gala Games I'm also- block five money back first before yeah, I start no, trying to do stuff. No, no joke. Gala Games has an airdrop coming up in May, which is exciting. They're one of the larger gaming companies out there. So it's cool to see that they are rewarding the community that's been involved. And then Polkadot has their XCM V3. Uh, it's a, I think it's about the launch, but pretty much what it enables is a lot more interchain compatibility. So Polkadot has always been with their parachain network able to work with a lot of different chains. And this is theoretically going to open the doors even more to work across all kinds of other chains. So during all this crazy bear market, there's still companies out there that have some exciting things going on and we're starting to see some of that happen. We joked about GTX in the past where the Three Arrows Capitals guys were trying to raise money to go after creating an exchange for everybody that lost money in BlockFi and had all these redemptions. What sounds like open exchange seems to be what that is. I don't know if it's a ticker, but OPNX. They tweeted out that they were excited for six different investors to be a part of this. And somewhat immediately, three of the investors kind of came back and said, we have no real ties to this. We have no ties to what the Three Arrows Capital guys did. We were invested in a completely different project called CoinFlex back in 2019. And we have been told that our shares are being transferred forcefully over to this open exchange piece. So it's created a lot of frustration on both sides. I think the, the team that had started open exchange is not happy that all of a sudden they're getting negative press about all this and trying to go after the users of like Celsius that are trying to get their money back. Yeah, times are different. Like uh, in 2019, money cost nothing and everybody was pouring money into all sorts of projects that weren't very well thought out. And now uh, not only do we have cryptocurrency collapses, but like actual bank collapses, interest rates are, you know, 5%. So it's a little tougher to just be start be like a startup founder that is kind of wheeling and dealing. Like in 2019, if you forcefully change, change those shares and, you know, things didn't work or this or that, they just shrugged their shoulders and said, well, that, you know, we're, we're private equity. We invest in projects that fail. You know, you know, we need one winner for every 10 losers, you know, all the same old crap. And now it's like money's too expensive. There's not enough, you know, not enough upside. And you, it's, it's just not the same game it used to be. 
Yeah, so speaking about Celsius, the news is they are somewhat opening the bidding again. They were supposed to be, I think, closing things down at the end of April. Uh, Nova Wolf had placed a bid and was going to provide 72.5% back to everybody that accepted. Half of that would come in June and the other half at the end of the year. And for some reason, Coinbase has jumped back into the mix of all this to possibly acquire the Celsius assets and be one of the the guy that takes over. So um, no one really understands what's going on. I have my document for accepting my 72.5% back, and they haven't really told me that what's going to happen at this point. So to be determined on where that goes. Yeah, I mean, like it would this is the kind of market where consolidation happens and players like Coinbase can pick up, you know, pieces of companies that didn't make it or whatever on the cheap and use some of their infrastructure to, you know, build a different business unit. And when things come back, Coinbase is stronger and has more options and things like that. So, you know, it, it's worth keeping an eye on that stuff. Yeah. And the, and the last thing that I had was NFT related. Always need to mention something about NFTs on my end. Yuga Labs, who created the Board API Club franchise, they sued a, another company that pretty much ripped off the Board API Club, and they ended up winning. So, but pretty much allowed them to say, "Hey, these are unique. They did break the law or break the copyright law, so they lost uh, a few hundred thousand dollars or something like that to Yuga Labs." So, at least NFTs are turning into something that you can take to court and win. Yeah, that's interesting that they were able to defend them. I mean, you know, there's always the joke of just taking a screenshot and copy and pasting, you know, a, a million dollar cartoon monkey. But if I guess if you take that screenshot and you turn it into an NFT on another platform, then that's something that you probably can't do. But yep. you could certainly put it as your your picture on Twitter or whatever. Like, you're not, they're not going to sue you for that. Well, you can try. You just won't get the little verifiable. Correct. Yeah, that's uh, a lot that we've covered here in the past forty plus minutes. So, anything else that we're missing? I mean, there were some, there were some other stuff. Uh, I just, I kind of got into that regulatory rabbit hole, and I ended up listening to a podcast. There's a guy named Jason Brett who's uh, he was on Peter McCormick's podcast, and I expected it to be kind of meaty, you know, because I was reading all these things about. Uh, all the regulations coming down, but it was it it was it was kind of fluff. But he he does anticipate the U.S. coming in with with some regulation this year to uh, to give companies and individuals some some guidance on on how to do things. Uh, hopefully, they don't government it up too much, and it's just you know a fog of conflicting regulations. But but it'll be interesting to see you know regulations from scratch. You know, like I don't think they can use 90 year old regulations meant for, you know, TV and radio uh, like they've kind of halfway been trying to do. So anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm sure as always, the next week will bring all kinds of news stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, great catching up. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.